And as we um, continue along the theme, for those that I haven't met yet, my name is Michelle and I'm part of the team here at True North and we have a lot of fun on the team. It's a great team and it's great to be a part of that. And this morning as um, we look at the message and even taking consideration the children that we're about to mentor in the School of Meroa and in that community and in that environment of just this lost identity. In some ways, you know, they're shaped and formed by their circumstances and the, and the environments that they're being brought up in. And confusion happens in that place where they don't quite know who they are, where, you know, the circumstances aren't there that they'll flourish to be who they're meant to be, but um, their confusion is there. So, and I see this not only in children, but in adults as well, where questions and conversations have had or just by the way people are walking through maybe you would identify as well when you see them and they're they're um, confused by the situation they're confused by their identity and who they're meant to be and you see greater things possibly in them but they don't necessarily always realize it or see it themselves as well and so as we we look in that I, I ask the question who are we like do you know who you are uh, what is shaping who we are? Who are we looking to to see who we are? We live in a world where many believe that um, I possibly don't fit in. Where do I fit? Where's my place? Where's my belonging? As we talk here at church and are welcoming and um, who we are as a church, we're in a place where this environment of the church building is a place where anyone who walks through those doors are going to feel accepted and welcomed here. But often people don't feel that within themselves. Like we could be sitting here and you could feel like it's all together, but deep down inside, the question is, well, who am I? Who am I? Despite what people may see, there's often a different story going on deep down inside. And we live in a time where many are just simply experiencing um, what I want to call today is identity crisis. Maybe some go through midlife crisis as well. I don't know that. I haven't got there yet. Too young. Too young. <laughs> Covered up the grey hairs. I don't know, maybe. Ask my husband. Um, so, but they say that midlife crisis, all sorts of things happen. I haven't got the sports car yet. When the people mover gets tra um, transformed in, you're like, oh, something's going on in there. But there's all sorts of circumstances, whether, you know, we're going to school, whether we're starting a new role, whether, um, you know, we're starting to be a parent where circumstances can sometimes ask us or force us to look in, inward to see, well, who am I? And has my identity changed as a result of this new stage of life? Am I still that same person? Because I don't feel like the same person in this scenario. What, what is that looking like for each one of us? And, and this is experienced both inside the church and outside the church, where we, we are asking these questions, where sometimes we lose our identity in just the craziness of what's going on around us. And we struggle every day with this concept of these carnal chameleons. You know what a chameleon is? Where they change their colour to their environment because that's who they need to be in that space. And, and so for us, are we, are we forced to be able to change our identity as a result of being in a different scenario? And is that for the good or is it for bad? How are we forced in our identity to stay true to who we are? but more so for us as believers to stay, stay true to who we are connected with. Because for each one of us, um, our life stories and our transformation of um, that acceptance of Christ in our lives 
is totally different to who we were, to who we're, we're called to be. And for a lot of that, it's a lot of renewing and retraining and dealing with a whole bunch of stuff that needs to be aligned with the Word of God that truly calls us to who we are and who our identity is. So this morning, we're going to unpack that a little. And we're, we're hoping that in this moment in today that you would find a little bit of who you are as according to who Christ calls you to be. And for each one of us, there's great hope in that. There's, uh, there's an amount of rising to that as well, which is a good thing. I think in the testings and the challenges and, and the reshaping of our thinking is um, a call to something greater than who you are. Because God has this unique plan for each one of us. And for each one of us, that look, may look very different. And it's not to be a chameleon that will change colour for each environment, but rather to stay very true to who you are and who Christ is calling you, despite if that's countercultural to where you walk. There was um, a German philosopher, and there was an incident in his life, this German philosopher, where you would think as a, achieving the, a, being a philosopher, that that would be quite an accomplishment in life. But the story goes, um, he did much to shape modern thought. And the story is told that as an old man, he was sitting in a park on a park bench. And as he was sitting there, the policeman came to him who thought he was a homeless man. And he asked the man, who are you? And the German philosopher replied sadly, I wish I knew. Although... His profession, you would think, well, that's a great profession. He has achieved much. But deep down inside, not knowing, now, who am I? Who, I? who am I when everything is stripped away? Who am I when titles and roles are stripped away? Who am I when children leave the, the nest and you're left, left alone? Who am I? Because we can get caught up in being parents, we can get caught up in, in our jobs, and we can get caught up in all these sorts of things that will want to form our identity. But when all that's stripped away, like this German philosopher says, I wish I knew who I was. As Christian believers, do we know who we are? Is our identity clear? Do we live out of that true identity of who we are and who we're called to be? And this morning we're going to unpack that a little in um, 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 to 12. And if you have your Bible, you can read along with me. If not, it's up on the screen as well. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe, this stone is precious, but to those who do not believe... The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. But you are a chosen people, hear this church, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, 
God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Dear friends, I urge you, as foreigners and exiles, to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day that he visits. So who the world thinks we are? I'm not sure if you've, um, your circles of friends, your family, workplace, schools, community, wherever you're at, you may have people that are non-believers and they all form opinions as to who the church is and they're looking in at us and they're, they're evaluating for good reason, who are they, what are they about and for social media, for news, for TV and all these things, they may highlight the church in such a way that isn't pleasing. You know, for a few small, um, instant, small majority of people that may do the wrong thing, it gets blown up in the media. And a lot of um, non-believers, non people not coming to church, will look at that and say, we'll have an opinion of who we are. What are Christians like? What is the church like? Who are we? And um, they form these opinions about, you know, we're possibly boring or we're a religious people of no fun. Now, that's not the case for this church, of course. We are a very fun bunch. But, um, but they'll, they'll start forming opinions of who we are, whether um, they know what the situation is in the church, whether they've been in conversation with a Christian that um, was a good or bad one. They're forming opinions of who we are. And as they, as they believe that the church is maybe nothing more than a social club, that, you know, we meet together, form an opinion, Geordie's looking great today, where'd you get that striped top from? And, and this is what they're, they're saying, what we're about. Like, and so what are they thinking, who we are? Some of them are think like, well, you guys meet in a church, but I'm meeting, you know, at my netball club and I'm meeting at the, the bar and, I, and there's not much difference really. It's all community, right? So who are they saying we are? You know, as we stand in um, identity of who we know we are and we go out to these places for, very, for a lot of us all around, you know, the city here, we, we are standing in a place where people are forming opinions of who we are. And as we stay true to our character, true to our identity of who we are in Christ, it's causing people around us that may see the news and see bad, bad things going on, but then it causes them to rethink, well, who is the church and who are you? And even the downside of that is what the world thinks we are. Are we then conforming to that? Is our, our identity strong enough to stay countercultural, or are we conforming to what the world thinks we are or what the world thinks and that's, that's a challenge for us because sometimes you can be so, like we would face 40 hours perhaps in a workplace environment where possibly they're not Christian. And so how do you stay, stay true to yourself in that environment to shape what that's going to look like rather than what the opinions of what that workplace is? So it's important for us to know and be grounded in that because what we've got to offer is incredible because we are connected with the one who loves 
who gives grace, who gives compassion, who gives mercy. So we need to rise to, to shape and reshape um, the people's thinking from just purely how we walk and hold ourselves. The world thinks that we're, we're possibly sometimes just putting on a show or pretending or just acting like that. But I think as we stand and as we walk daily in, an, in a walk that is true to who we are and our character is formed and shaped from a deeper place, that the consistency over that speaks volumes to people, that you're not just that in one, one moment and then flipping over to that in the next. So our identity, as we, as we um, are grounded in that, allows shape and form to those around us. The world says, I should, but what do we say? Who are we and what do we speak into that place where the world thinks one thing, but we possibly think another? It's a challenge to, um, to be continually in the word for many of us that um, are possibly are in those environments where there are no, Christian, uh, no Christians in there that it's such an opportunity to show the love of Christ without even speaking a word. It's without speaking that. But with that, being able to um, read the word, be a part of that, allow that to absorb into who you are deep, deep down, that will shape that will, um, and, and mould you in such a way that when you walk in those places, they're like, what is different about her? What is different about him? What is that, that they are so secure in who they, who they are? Not in an arrogant way, humbly walking in. Yesterday, um, I was here in the morning, and I shared this already, but um, there was the different, with the church, people know that there's something here and they want that and they need that. So yesterday, um, I was here and a lady walked in with desperate need for the church. She made a phone call and at reception, obviously this church isn't open on a Saturday, but I happened to be here, Barry Thiggerson was here as well at the shop, and we were able to sit and chat and pray with her. But just this desperate need of an answer, desperate need of a situation that was going on in her life. And where do they go? They come to the church. And yesterday again, a homeless man came in, he's, I'm hungry, I need something to eat. I'm like, yes, we've got it, we're, we're available to help. But that happens throughout the week on a consistent basis where people are looking in at the church to say and know that they, they, we can help them. And that can be the case in your workplace. As you stand there, if they, as your work people know in the environments that you're in with, your, with how you walk and hold yourself in, in those situations, that they all come to you. I believe that. They will come to you because there's a difference about you in the knowing of who you are and how you live out your life. I play netball. I'm still travelling along. It's been a few years, a um, couple of years, I think, I've joined this team of um, young mums and none of them are Christian and they're, they're young. They're young. I try to keep up. I'm doing my best. And um, in that scenario, they know that I'm a pastor here at the church and that I I'm, I'm obviously work here full time. And there's many a situations on the court where character is tested. <laughs> 
where the character is tested and um, there was one scenario, Phil lo loves this story, I walked in and like, I couldn't believe it because one of my teammates, we were against this other team who were always winning, like you get to this desperation point where you just want to beat them and um, she was at this point and um, so she just was beside herself and got to a point where she hit the other person and I'm like, what do we do? And so I did not enter and it was it all worked out well and she was actually very gracious, the other person, and um, didn't hit back, which is nice. But there's all different, <laughs> all different character tests that we'll have. There was a scenario where, um, you know, the ball had gone out and I had touched it, but they were giving the ball to me. And so in that moment, I had to be honest, Oh, no, I touched it. So the other team's ball, um, so they took that and, they, and we won by two points, so that was fine. But there, there was, um, there's all sorts of character tests wherever you find yourself. You know, I deliberately put myself into that netball team just to try to build some relationships um, in there because, to be honest, my world is filled with Christian friends and Christian people and that's just an environment that I intentionally be a part of to be able to um, build some sort of relationships, as it turns out. They're generally young mums and always having babies or going back to work, or <laughs> it's forever changing. But it's a great place just to position myself and to be able to build some relationship in there. But also to um, see how we hold ourselves in that, that people are looking at us. If they know you're a Christian, or not know that you're a Christian, that there should be something about us that, that is very countercultural to what they're normally experiencing. Because we're trying to be who the world thinks we are, or because we're not trying to be who the world thinks we are, people are looking in at us and they're seeing, are they genuine? Are they real? This Christianity, what is that about? Despite the hard things that are going, in their, going on in their world, they're still smiling they're still full of joy. What's that about? They're looking at us to see in all different ways how that is, sh that is shaping. And next, who we believe we are. In verse 11 it says, Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day that he visits. Who do we believe we are? Do we believe that once you're saved, you're, um, you're able to sit back, wait for Jesus to return, all is good? Who do we believe we are? As Christians, as followers of Christ... We know that we have got a call over our lives to, um, to be able to go out into our worlds, to be able to make more disciples. How, is that, how does that look for us on an everyday basis? Who we are in Christ is not that we get to sit back and enjoy life and wait for Christ to return, is it? There's always going to be um, testings and times where we're shaped and moulded. There's going to be um, stuff where heart ache hurts and things happen in our lives. But I think that's a good thing because through every testing, through every um, situation that we, are, we face, that Christ has opportunity to shape us, to mould us, be able to um, 
give us uh, character that is more strengthened and more refined as a result of the testing that's taking place. And our identities in that, what does that look like through testing and trials and, and um, situations that are taking place in us? Are we able still then to stay firm to identity? Because I know for myself that gets tested. I know that in situations sometimes that I'm faced with, it's, I, I struggle to know who I am in that. But then to go back to the word of God, to know what he says, to stand firm in what he's calling, is something that needs to be strengthened in our identity, to know that you know testing will come, trials will come, the shaping, the forming, the remoulding, the hand of the potter that is remaking and reshaping works in all those, those situations. And for anyone that um, is here and possibly thinks that, you know, all this testing and hurt and pain, oh, that shouldn't happen to Christians, well, I'm sorry, I'm here to burst your bubble. Um, it does happen. And it, it's very real for, for many of us who have walked that journey. But in that, with Christ carrying us, with his, the comfort from him, it, it, the, the testing and the trial and the situations that can happen, that can be a very different experience from a Christian to a non-Christian on how we, we face those moments. The Bible tells us that all of us have become like one who is unclean and all our righteous acts are like filthy rags. For each one of us that we take on the belief that we are a product of our own selves. In other words, you are because of your own power. You, you are you because of your own ability. You are you because of your parents. You are you because of education. You are you because of your position in community. Some people may think that is who they are. But the truth of the matter is we are, you are you because of God. And for many of us here, we know that to be true. You are you because of God. Before you even had a sense to know who you were or what you wanted to be, God already knew. He is predetermined, predestined, he's ordained your life. And before, he says in, in his word, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. God knew you before you knew you. And in that, we can, we can take comfort in, we know that God is taking us somewhere. He, with the um, things that go in our life, we know that it's not about us and what we achieve, but it's what God is doing in our lives. We don't get hung up on ourselves and what we believe. Find ourselves trying to be conformed to being one thing in the world and another thing um, in church, whatever it may be. And it says, like, do not conform to the patterns of this world. So how do we not conform to the patterns of the world? How do we not conform to the scenarios that we find ourselves? It's by that finding our identity in who we are, finding our identity in Christ, in that knowing that... Um, we are placed here to make a difference. We're placed here to be, show Christ's love. 
to the world. Good news is we must understand that it is a bit of a mindset. In the word it says, um, until we change our thinking to God's way of thinking, we need to change those thought patterns of what we are thinking. Until we change our mindsets into godly mindsets, until we change our beliefs and believe in what God says, we'll be stuck in this constant state of spiritual crisis. So we need to change the, the thinking. We need to change what Christ says about us as to what we think about us. And I think as we look at our spiritual identity, we almost need to let go of who we think we are, let go of who the world thinks we are, but to listen in and hear and stand as to what Christ says we are. And as, as we um, hear those words and we hear what Christ says we are, we are able to, to stand strong in that calling. The quest for our true identity is found in Christ. And that extent um, of who Christ says we are is too much for us to look at, I think, and to unpack here this morning. And as I said earlier, that, you know, if this is something that you're wrestling with, is this something that you're like, oh, what is my identity? I encourage you to um, keep on reading in the word what Christ says. And if, that, and if you need to be held accountable, talk to someone, a friend or someone, and say, I'm just going to keep on pressing in onto this. Who we are in Christ, it says, we who are in Christ are holy and blameless, having been chosen in him before the foundations of the world. Believers who do not realise our identity in Christ will live with this gnawing of a guilty feeling and having to earn their forgiveness and having to earn acceptance and having to earn belonging, but rather to accept that for each one of us that are in Christ, you are holy and you are blameless. That you are holy and you are blameless. That there, you don't need to feel guilty, you don't need to feel condemned. Who we are in Christ, we have been adopted as his sons and daughters. We have been adopted as his sons and daughters, deserving all privileges of being in his eternal family. And Paul writes, he predestined us to adoption as sons through Christ Jesus himself, according to the kind intention of his will. That for many of us, we may not have grown up in Christian homes, and we, or even if we had, that acknowledgement that we have been adopted as his son and his daughter, I'm not sure for yourself, but it's sometimes really hard to identify with that. Sometimes really hard for me to get my head around, it's like, what? I'm a daughter? I'm a daughter of his. What does that look like? How does that look like in my life? No longer slave to sin, but in him we are set free. We don't need to live under stress and pain and strain and imprisonment of sin. Since we live under his lordship, we live under the sacrifice that he has placed on the cross, that we live in, a, in freedom. We are in Christ. We are eternal redeemed, purchased and bought back. Many people fail to um, possibly replace the, 
the rich grace that is found in the loving arms of Jesus, that we can maybe get caught up in the the anger and how do I live with that and the fear where we, we may get all these things that happen in our life, but then how do we just freely go to Christ to be able to live in that place where um, he has redeemed us, that eternally, that we don't need to live with that stuff. Sure, we've got to repent and we've got to believe that in that repenting and that turning away, that we are free from condemnation and free from all those things, that they don't hold us back, but we continually walk in the strength and the knowing that we are redeemed. Who we are in Christ are his workmanship. That Paul wrote, For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do the good things he has planned for us long ago. That for each one of us, that that plan that he has got for each one of us is so very different. And as we... um, as he continually forms and works in our life, that he is moulding and shaping and it's his workmanship, that as we form our identity, as we um, continually walk under his grace and under his um, forgiveness and set free from all those things that will hold us back, that we clearly see where he's taking us. We clearly see for each one of us in that unique place that he calls us to. The founder of Salvation Army, William Booth, was once asked the question of his amazing Christian life and how did that come about? And Booth answered, I told the Lord that he could have all there is of William Booth. That he could have all there is of William Booth. What does it look like for us to offer ourselves to Christ in such a way that we... we are able to submit ourselves wholly, completely, not just this part, not just that part. As we know for William Booth, um, he did amazing work for God. But for each one of us, I think that's a big part of of our Christian faith and our Christian living out, that we have to give our all to Christ in in many ways. And I feel that for myself that sometimes that's a a daily thing. So, okay, God, I give it to you again. I've picked it up. Okay, I'll give it back to you. It's not always a natural thing for us to be called by God and he gives us these things that, oh, you're going to love that and go ahead and do that. Jonah is a good example of someone who is, whose calling was completely opposite to what he desired. Moses didn't like public speaking. Gideon didn't feel courageous. And even Jesus didn't look forward to being crucified. So for us, as we're looking at our spiritual identity and who Christ is calling us to, it's going to require obedience. So not always the natural grain of where we want to head to and Christ will say, uh, you would say you're going here, Christ will say, actually, no, you're going here and it's going to um, require obedience from each one of us. But in that place is the place where we're going to find our true identity. It's going to find where we come alive because we know in that place, God has got that perfect, unique place for each one of us. It's not that we um, try to manipulate and shape. It's like, oh, God, oh, let's go here. It's like, no, no, no. And it's always the best place to be. So for some of us here, and God may be speaking to you and calling you to different places, and, and you're feeling the wrestle and the strain, and it's not comfortable, it's okay. 
It's the best place to be because he has the best place for where you should be. And I'll wrap up and, um, with this picture of, it's like putting on a custom-tailored dress or a suit for men. Don't like wearing dresses. Rather, this custom-tailored dress or suit for you, rather than a generic Target brand T-shirt or dress, that Christ has a perfect plan, a perfect design, a perfect unique setting for each one of us, that they don't need me to be putting on Dawn's dress, that, that the place that I'm put from Christ and knowing my identity in him, that he is shaping the perfect dress for me, that he is shaping the perfect outfit for you guys. And it's not that we try to wear what he's made for someone else, but rather that we stand in our identity knowing that he's called us, that he's taking us to a place, that obedience is required some ways to be able to just keep going on that journey. But that perfect design is made for each one of us individually. And I'll finish up then. Let me just play. Jesus, I thank you, Lord, that you call each one of us.